Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So I'm carrying on with the message that Pete started last week to do with looking at God with us. And we're looking at this idea of God being with us across the course of the Bible narrative. So Pete looked at Adam and Eve in Genesis and the idea that God was with them in Genesis, even when they made these this horrendous mistake of, of listening to the word of the enemy over the word of God, of, of, of engaging with that system as opposed to a God system, of doing, of, of becoming submissive to the to the system of, of good and evil as opposed to God's system of life and that God was still with them in that environment God was still with them in that place what I'm going to look at this morning is I'm going to look at Noah um, and Noah is a very strange story because a story because it is the kind of one that we have kids talk about all the time they look at Sunday school groups on they, they do the animals going two by two um, read an article that made me laugh about we have our bedrooms when we have babies decorated with Noah's Ark if you do that that's fine but it's just interesting because it's, it's fascinating that the, the story of Noah is actually really 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 difficult it's really hard to understand and really hard to get our heads around um, and I want you just to go in your real Bibles and I haven't got prizes this morning for real Bibles I'm really sorry just my admiration is enough um, just go to Genesis 6 6 Genesis 6 verse 6 and we have one verse um, and I'm going to jump back out and then we're going to jump back in again Genesis 6 verse 6 and it says this so the context is that God's about to flood the earth um, and he's speaking he's about to speak to Noah about making an ark and he's about to get two by two of the animals in and all the kind of stuff we have is our kid's story. Uh, but Genesis 6, 6 says this, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So God was sorry that he'd made man on the earth. And it says in verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, if we left that this morning, that's not the most encouraging of scriptures in the world. That God has got to a point where he is seemingly so sorry that he has created mankind on the earth because of their actions, because of their choices, because of their decisions. That he's going, actually, I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the planet. Man, woman, children, animals, insects, bugs, everything is going to just be completely gone and I'm going to start again. Okay, That's what Genesis looks like. That's what the Noah story looks like. That God has gone, actually, a lot of you have demanded enough that's the end of it Noah's kind of okay I'll stick with Noah and we'll start again with Noah but everyone else forget about it and that really on the, on, it, it is what it looks like except for the fact that things don't always look the way they appear for example I'm sure nobody in this room has ever has ever read an article on Facebook and misinterpreted that person's post or misinterpreted that person's motivation behind that post, or ever reacted to someone's post on Facebook that was that was inappropriate. I'm sure no one in this room's ever. I've never done that, obviously, but I'm aware people do. Okay, so um, and obviously no one in this room would do that. I'm sure. I'm sure um, that no one has ever seen someone in a situation 
and assumed the worst of them in that situation. Maybe that you've seen a friend having a, a drink with a, another, another person, they're married, and you think, what's going on in that situation? You've never assumed the worst. Or, or you've seen someone doing something or seemingly to do something in, in any kind of circumstance and gone, well, they're definitely doing something dodgy there. I'm sure none of us have ever, ever done that at any point ever. Um, and I'm sure none of us have ever based our entire opinion about somebody based on the news stories that we hear about them. I'm sure that all of us definitely know um, Donald Trump personally. I'm sure that every single one of us in this room knows Justin Bieber um, and therefore our opinion of them is based on our conversations with them and our interactions with them as opposed to the media that, that presents information about them. I'm sure all of us have that personal thing because I, I obviously know anytime I speak about celebrities because I know them personally. My point in all of that is this stuff isn't always as it seems. And we know that. We know that actually the way we can view situations can be completely misguided based on our own agenda, based on information of other people presenting, um, based on stuff. It doesn't mean it's not truth in stuff. It just means that actually we can read situations wrong sometimes. Um, and whilst I'm not completely framing the knowest account in that context, I think it's important to think, okay, this jars against our understanding of God. Why does it jar against our understanding of God? Because actually we have an understanding of God that's very different to this. And therefore we have to look at it in a different kind of way. And I want to just kind of give a bit of context to that before we go back into the Genesis account. If we just go to 1 Corinthians 13. We all believe, I believe, you believe, that we have perfect perception and understanding of situations. Whether we like to admit that we don't, we all kind of believe that. We believe that when we see a situation, we understand it as it is, and therefore we act accordingly. Um, and we even kind of think that the way that everything is recorded in the Bible has equal weighting to our understanding of stuff. Because... The Old Testament has equal weight into what's in the New Testament, has equal weight into what's with Jesus. We kind of have this, this kind of unwritten thing in our hearts that says, says that. But actually, God himself challenged that, that argument, because this is not what I'm going off on sidetrack, but that, because when he, when Moses, the law, of which Genesis is part of, appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then when Elijah appeared with Jesus, i.e. the prophets, of which the Old Testament part of appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Jesus, you've got Elijah, Moses, Jesus. Peter, in his kind of usual emphaticness, says, let's build three tabernacles for the three guys, because these guys are the pinnacles. We've got Elijah the prophet, we've got Moses the law, and we've got Jesus. Um, and then God audibly speaks and says, look, I want you, this is my son, hear him. And the idea that God is identifying the fact that actually don't put these three on the same level. Don't put the prophets and the law, i.e. the Old Testament, and Jesus on the same level. He said, I don't want you to do that. God specifically audibly spoke and said, look, I want you to listen to him. Listen to Jesus above the law and the prophets. I.e., when you're looking at a situation, don't go, well, this is God in the Old Testament, this is Jesus, there's a difference, you've got to find a balance between the two. Okay? God's basically saying, look, this is Jesus, 
He is the, the pinnacle. He is the <coughs> chief way you understand what I'm like. The prophets and the law, the Old Testament, have to come underneath your view of him. Have to come underneath your perspective of him. That he's the perfect image of that. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I've jumped off sidetrack. We're going to come back again. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. And verse 9. Paul talking, and he's doing this kind of famous passage about love. And love is the context of this, but I just want to pull something else out about it. It says this. He says, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, um, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know just as I am known. And now by faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. He's talking about the fact that the best way to see something, the best way to have a clear perspective on something, is this idea of love. Is the idea that when, when you get that which is perfect, and you see through that stance point, you, you see perfectly, you, you see clearly, you see better. But the interesting thing about this is he talk, talk, talks about the fact that there is a progression in our understanding and our seeing of things. That we don't see perfectly now, there's a progression that I don't understand things. He said, I don't understand things perfectly now. There's a progression. There's an increase in the way I understand things. In a similar kind of way, I've got very into mud recently. I don't know why mud seems to be every analogy that I do at the moment. But anyway, um, so he's talking about seeing unclearly. If I was to put behind here my hand just there, Jeremy, how many fingers am I holding up? One, five, okay. Matt, how many fingers? Three. Two fingers, one thumb. Okay, so I'll give you that to a point, okay. Um, Jeremy Archer, how many fingers am I holding up? Three. <laughs> Just one, okay, or two with the thumb, okay. The point is, you can see part, but not fully. So you have some understanding that I can start to work out how many is holding up, but not completely. Okay? Now, Paul talked about the fact that we see in part, but he also talked about there's an increase in the way we see things. It becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And then when that, that which is perfect has come, we see fully. So when we, when we have that which is perfect has entered, we see much more clearly than we do right now. In the Gospels, God audibly spoke and said, look, there's the prophets, i.e. Elijah, there's Moses, the law, and there's Jesus. I want you to listen and pay most attention to Jesus, i.e. him who is perfect, him who is the perfect expression of love. That, that's where you get your reference point from, from him first, then from the, the law and the prophets. So you get your, 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 kind of, your point from Jesus first, then you look at the Old Testament. You don't go Old Testament Jesus, same level, let's try and work out an in-between. Look at Jesus. When the Old Testament doesn't match up with Jesus, then there's a misunderstanding about what's going on in the Old Testament. Now, if we just go to Hebrews 1. I'm going to do one more thing with this. And this is what I want to kind of get across this morning, that things aren't always as they seem. That we're using the story of Noah to kind of understand that. That things aren't always as they seem. That the whole premise of this is that God is with us. And there's going to be points in our life when it looks like he is not. 
There's going to be points in our existence when it looks like God is absolutely not with us. God is absolutely not for us. But the point is, just as with Noah, and just as with other circumstances, things aren't always as they seem. That just because it looks like God's not with us, just because it appears like he's not for us, doesn't mean that's not the truth. And that's why it's so important to look at these things through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate way that we view these situations. Because Jesus himself said that when you've seen, the, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That the idea that Jesus is the window into seeing what God is like. The, the account, in plain, blunt terms, the account of Noah is not the perfect window to see what God is like. It's a window, but it's that kind of window. And therefore, we get an impression of it, but if we build a theology around that window to give us the impression of what God looks like, we are going to have a screwed up theology, pardon my expression. Okay? It's going to be distorted because it's based on a partial perception of what God looks like. It is 100% God acting in Noah. No doubt about that whatsoever. However, we cannot go... Look, God wants to destroy people when they make mistakes. Because at no point in Jesus' life did he do that. At no point. He did the opposite of that. Therefore, we can't have a schizophrenic God. We can't have a God in the Old Testament who wants to wipe people off the planet. And God in Jesus who just seems to embrace those same kind of people. That doesn't make any sense at all. God is not schizophrenic. God is one. And therefore, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen him. I, you've seen him who was in the Old Testament. You've seen him. And therefore, that people are starting to question and change the way they looked at it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to unpack Genesis 1 and explain it. I'm not going to be able to do that. Okay? But what I am going to do is make us start to go, okay, what can we see from that Genesis account? And therefore, almost use the x-ray that is Jesus to wipe away some of this mud. Almost use that kind of Jesus thing to kind of start to peel away bits of it and go, okay, wait a minute, if that's what Jesus looks like, then perhaps that tells me a little bit about that little bit more I can see in there of Noah, of of what's going on in that situation. Hebrews 1 kind of confirms that again. It says this, Hebrews 1 verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the worlds. So he basically going, God has spoken to humanity through the prophets in the past. He's spoken to them. And we see that through the whole kind of account of the scriptures. God is speaking to, to humanity all the time. He's speaking and saying, look, and the, and the message he's communicating... Sometimes it looks confusing, sometimes it looks distorted, but he's constantly speaking. But then he goes on to say this in Hebrews, and it's fascinating because it says in verse 3, talking about Jesus. So he's spoken to, the prof- to, to, to humanity through the prophets in the past. Now he's speaking to humanity through Jesus. And it says this about Jesus. Who being the brightness of his glory and the exact image of his person. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, I've spoken to you in the past through the prophets and I've communicated a message to you. Now I'm communicating a message to you through Jesus. And he goes on to then describe Jesus as the perfect image of me. So basically, if you you kind of infer that, that he's basically saying, look, the prophets were okay. It got a message across to you. It led you to a point, but it wasn't ever perfectly expressed. It was always like a little bit distorted because, because 
you look at it like this, and it's like, okay, you, you're kind of getting the image of what I look like, you're kind of getting who I am, but you, you're missing it a little bit. You're not getting a clear message. But then he's saying, you've then come to Jesus, and there's no barrier. There's no distortion. There's no misunderstanding of what I'm like, because Jesus is the perfect image. That when you look at him, you see me. When you look at me through the Old Testament, you kind of see this like slightly distorted thing of like we can sort of begin to get what God is like, but actually we need the whole of the Old Testament to start to build up a proper picture. And even then it's still a bit confused. Whereas when Jesus comes, it's a perfect, it's an exact image, it's a perfect representation. I.e. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The prophets couldn't say that. They couldn't say, when you've heard what we said, when you've seen the way we behaved, you've seen the Father. But Jesus could. Jesus said, look, when you've seen me, you've seen that. Which is why when God, when Elijah and Moses appeared on the Mount Transfiguration with Jesus, Peter wanted to go, wow, we've got this brilliant, perfect image now of what God's like because we've got the prophets, we've got the law, and we've got Jesus. That's a brilliant thing. And God said, no, actually, no, you haven't. Jesus is the perfect image. Jesus is the way you understand me. Therefore, listen to him. Listen to him above what the prophets say and above what the law says. Does that mean God's contradicting himself? Not at all. It just means that Jesus clarifies what we see in the Old Testament and does that, literally does that. Knocks off the dirt to help us see what's happening and what's going on. Now, I'm not going to answer every question about Noah, but we're going to jump back in there with that understanding that Jesus is the clearest view. Now, I read a brilliant article that, that talked about the fact that the challenge with Old Testament stories is when there's gaps, these gaps in not understanding, it's like there, there is these huge things that go, God just said he wants to wipe out all of humanity. Okay? And therefore we have this like massive gap of going, why? Is that God? Why does he look like that? And what we do is we then fill it in. And we, because we want to be able to answer it. So we kind of fill it in with explanation and reason and rationale. And then we start to build theologies about it. So why did God want to wipe them all out? Because they weren't like Noah. And therefore, we need to be more like Noah and not like the people that God killed. And therefore, we start to build a kind of system of life built on the fact that if we're not like Noah, then God might just want to wipe us out. And therefore, we go, actually, everybody in our lives who's not like Noah... It's actually okay if we, are, we mistreat them or we, we want to wipe them out of the face of the planet or whatever it is because God did that. And so we build this kind of theology around it because we fill in the gaps. And we fill in the gaps through ridiculous assumptions about stuff. Well, actually, we could just honestly say, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. But what I do know is Jesus. And Jesus is my clarification of that. Jesus is the, is the thing that trumps that for want of a better expression. He's the thing that overrides that doesn't mean i answer all my questions but he goes okay that's what god looks like so when i'm confused about god here i can look at jesus and go okay that's it that's what he's like and so if we just jump back to genesis 6 and my point in this is not just so we can kind of look at Noah and be a bit more knowledge about the bible the point in this is that in life this happens doesn't it that the circumstances we come into and go god i haven't got the foggiest idea about why this is happening to me right now or why that's happening to the, that person over there or why that person died or why that person's sick or why that person's that why that person got abused i don't know why those things happen and what we need to be careful not to do is just fill in the gaps well maybe that person is sick because they did something and they didn't listen to god or whatever and then we fill in the gaps or maybe that person got abused because of x y and z or maybe that person died because of this that and the other and we fill in the gaps because we we, we want answers and i'm not trying to say that let's just become people that just go oh, what, 
whatever happens, happens. Be people that are tenacious to see the sick healed and the, and the dead raised and the, and the abused put into families where they're safe. Absolutely that. But in the same way with Noah, we can't go when it looks like God's not here or it looks like God's abandoned us or it looks like God's not for us. Let's fill in the gaps. In life, we go, okay, God, I know you're for me. Why? Because I look at Jesus. And I see he was someone in the dirt, in the messiest places with people. He didn't wipe them out. He didn't abandon them. And therefore, even though it looks like right now you want to abandon me, even though it looks like right now you abandoned that person who died, I know that's not true because Jesus. And that's the answer. And that sounds very Sunday school, because Jesus. As opposed to, but what about Noah? That cannot be, it cannot be our pinnacle. It can't be like, well, Noah's the example. No, he's not. Jesus is the example. And Noah falls somewhere underneath all that. And therefore, that's what we look to first. And it might start to help us explain other stuff. It, we may do, we may not do. Um, okay, so Genesis 6. And that's a long, long introduction. Um, we'll start at verse, we'll start at verse 5. Okay, Genesis 6, verse 5. Then it says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every, I mean, listen to this description. And that every intent or motivation of the thoughts of his heart was evil all the time. Okay? We're also not talking about right now some people who have just told a white lie. We are talking about humanity being at such a point that every intention, every single one of their hearts was evil. Not just when they had a bad day, but all of the time. So there is nothing, there is nothing good going on in this current situation. Now does that justify God wiping them out if we read it on a face value? I don't believe so. Because Jesus still encountered people who you could argue were that that extreme. And yet he didn't wipe them out. So therefore that's not, we can't, and that's when we're filling in the gaps. We go, okay, well I guess when there's somebody who is so evil, that then we can wipe them out. So when we get Hitler, it's kind of okay to wipe him out then. It's kind of okay to kill him. Because that's what God would have done. Look Look at Genesis. Or, more current one, when we get someone that's like ISIS, it's kind of okay for them to be killed because look what God did. He killed people when they were evil all the time and, he, and ISIS are definitely evil all of the time. And you see what we do? We start to fill in the gaps. We start to say, well, actually, it's justifiable to behave that way in these extreme circumstances because God did in these extreme circumstances. And I know, I know it reads like that, but we have to go, did Jesus do that? When he ex- enc- encountered the kind of worst of humanity, did he do that? No, he didn't. Therefore, why does it look like it didn't, God did in here? I haven't got all the answers to that. But I know Jesus. And therefore, that's my kind of trump card. Let's use it as that. My trump card. And it says this. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. This is the, the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And boom, we have an answer, don't we? That the only person on the face of the planet that was perfect, that was good, that was blameless is Noah. Therefore, if I don't want to be wiped out by an angry, abusive God, I've got to be perfect and do all that kind of stuff. And therefore, what it does, it creates a legalism. And I go, okay, if I live my life perfectly, then God will be for me. If I do this, then God will be for me. But did Jesus do that? No. Jesus didn't say, if you're good, I'll help you. If you're bad, I'm going I'm to wipe you out. Jesus did the opposite. 
if because you've made all these mistakes, I will die on a cross for you. So why does it look like God did another thing? The interesting thing about this is that, a few little points out, because to me, what we can get from this account is these little pockets of windows here. Is this bit here. Where we start to see something of God just creep through. Or this bit here, where we start to see something of God just like peer through. And the problem is, we can't see the other bits. And therefore we kind of make big sweeping statements. But actually we can see little bits of something just pop through. For example, little statements like, God saying, I'm sorry I made man on the earth. He doesn't say, I'm sorry I made man. He says, I'm sorry I made man on the earth. Because perhaps there's an impact of that, look, look what they've done to the earth. Look what's happened. He's not saying I don't want anything to do with mankind anymore. Also interesting little side note that it said Noah found grace in God's eyes. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favour. Therefore the grace that Noah found is not because he deserved it. And therefore we have another question. Why, did, why was it only Noah? Was that God's intention that it only be one person? Or was God's intention that it be as many who were responsive and wanted to him and to be involved in that? Was the ark destined to be for one family? Or was the ark destined for, to be for all who were welcomed? I don't know. And I'm not, the answers aren't there. But that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Did God just intend just to rescue Noah? Did God just intend just to take this one family and actually go to hell with the rest of you? Okay? Or did God go, whoever's open? Because we know from the quality of scripture that, that God with people like Job and Abraham, God was constantly looking for people to work with him. Constantly looking for people to interact with him. And some said yes and some said no. Was that the situation with this? I don't know. I haven't got an answer to that. But it's just, the point is when you're doubting something, you ask questions. And we trust that God starts to come in and fill those gaps in. But it also says that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. That word did, does not mean perfect. It more means that he was good to go. He was kind of in a place where he was ready to be involved and engaged with what was happening. Not perfect. And we see from Noah that he wasn't perfect. Because when he came out of the ark, he also did stuff that was imperfect. This is not about a theology for perfectionism. Or I will be morally right and morally good all the time and that's when God will use me. Because that's not what we see throughout the rest of the kind of accounts of scriptures or Jesus. And therefore it's important we don't fill in the gaps with stuff that's not true. And the same in our lives. We don't fill in the gaps with stuff to try and justify the circumstances we find ourselves in. We said look to Jesus. We go, okay, Jesus, you're the explanation for everything. Therefore I'm going to look to you. And if this doesn't fit in, I'm going to kind of use that as something to help me understand more of you. It's really interesting because there's a real connection um, between well actually we'll read a bit further and I'll put that up so verse 9 says this is the ge- genealogy of Noah Noah was a just man perfect in his generations Noah walked with God and Noah begot three sons Shem, Ham and Japheth the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence so God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth the interesting thing here that there's a significant connection between humanity and the earth Humanity and the, the, the soil, humanity and the, and the dust of the earth, humanity and the, the kind of actual physical makeup of the earth, the trees and the plants and the soil and the animals. There's a connection between what humanity does 
and how they, in this context, how they sin and the impact that has on the earth and the way that changes the environment, the way that changes the earth. Why do I say that? Because this isn't something that, that, that's just affected people and people live in this kind of like place and everything else is fine. But this idea that actually because of the actions of people, it's affected the whole planet. It's affected everywhere and, it, and, it, and it's impacted everywhere. And this, this kind of thing has changed the very dynamic of the earth. And the fascinating thing is that God's intention in this thing, the thing we do seem to pick up, is that Noah's there to do something about redeeming and bringing back the planet to the way that God intended it to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we think God justifies the wiping out of, of thousands and thousands of people to get that aim. But it does suggest that actually God's intention with this is to bring a, a refreshing, is to bring a change, is to bring a hope back to humanity, to, to restore humanity to something that it was before. Because it says in Genesis 5, verse 29, and it says, talking about the genealogy of Adam, and it picks up in 29 about Noah, it says, And he called his name Noah, and Noah means rest or relief, saying, This one will comfort us or bring relief concerning our work, and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So this idea that Noah's there to bring a relief to what's happened because of the decisions and actions of man. That Noah's life is there to bring a relief to the fact that Adam and Eve have fallen and, these, and the earth has gone, gone to pot. And Noah's there to bring a relief to that. Now, does that mean that the intentionality was that everybody who wanted to be part of that could be? Was that the intention of the ark? Was it just Noah? I don't believe so. But there's nothing in there that tells us that. But what it starts to do is see that the purpose of God was to bring restoration and relief again. So we start to see a, an aspect of it and go, okay, actually God's still interested in restoring. God's still interested in restoring here. Therefore, I'm going to just know that. From this story, I'm going to know that, that God wants to restore. Can I explain why everyone died? No. But I can say that God wants to restore and bring relief and bring society and, and humanity back to a place of goodness, back to where he wanted them to be in the first place. And it's like we start to see pockets of the nature and character of God that we see in Jesus. That we see that in here, even though in amongst it all, there's all this dirt and this distortion of the way we see God. The other interesting thing is that the word it constantly goes through these things another little window a little insight we see is that it says that i will destroy or i am sorry or i will do this or i will do that and the idea is that that word i will is is not i will like it this is my intention this is the thing i've been desperate to do um not like when we get married and, and we say i will or i do there's that idea that actually that's exactly what i want i want to get married i want to do that and therefore i will this is more of a kind of a an acquiescence to that situation that this will happen or a it actually if you look at the word i will in the kind of original thing there's actually a it, it specifically mentions a breathing thing like a kind of it's a I will give over to this because actually maybe maybe we look at the fact that, that God's not entirely in control of what's going on in this situation. But again, because we're looking at it through a, a dirty window, okay, it looks like, well, God said I will destroy them. Maybe what we're missing is the fact that because he gave authority to mankind, because he gave authority in Genesis to people, maybe, maybe we're missing 
part of the fact that actually it looks like God saying, I'm going to destroy them. Maybe it's God saying, look, this is going to happen. Society has so destroyed the earth that this is going to happen. That this is going to change the way that the, the world operates. Maybe God's intentionality is not what it appears. Maybe he was reading it in the English. Maybe he was reading it on a flat level. He's making us see something that's not actually there. Maybe it's not that God's saying, I'm going to destroy this. Maybe it's God saying, this is going to happen. Not because I'm saying I will do this, like I will get married. But be saying because actually my hands are, are not involved in this situation. I'm not, I'm not the one in control of this. But again, we look at it face value. And we look at it face value and we also look at it with parts unclear and un, unseen. But we've got to start to focus on the fact that what do we know that God wanted to restore? What do we know that, that God wanted to work with humanity? Because he worked with Noah. What do we know is that this story, interestingly, goes very kind of um, counter to other ancient stories about floods. Most other ancient stories, not of the Bible, but of, of other kind of community, communities and groups, had this idea that the gods were angry with people. That the gods wanted to wipe people out because they become irritating and noisy and disruptive and evil. And therefore the gods wanted to just destroy them and flood the earth to wipe them out and start again. And yet in the Genesis account, the Bible narrative kind of gives this impression that actually God isn't, his intention isn't to wipe out. That's not the primary aim. The primary aim is not to destroy humanity because he's irritated by them. The primary aim is to bring restoration and relief and bring something new there there is constant dialogue that we do see is that they've damaged the earth that every intention everything is evil that there's almost like a a sadness attached to him in the description of what's going on with this and therefore that's the primary narrative that carries through this thing why did everyone die i don't know was everyone else included in this to come into the ark I don't know but what we do see is God wanted to restore and God wanted to bring something new and God wanted to work with humanity because he worked with Noah and God wanted to do these things and it starts to help us see actually if God wants to restore here and God wants to work with humanity here and God wanted to bring a freshness and a newness here those bits of the jigsaw piece those bits of the puzzle start to build something different and the bits I can't see the bits I don't understand perhaps those aren't as damning of the nature of God as I think they are perhaps those bits don't give the impression of this God that just wanted to wipe people out the way that they look like and then when we come into our own lives and I'm going to stop there from another point of view when we come into our own lives and I look at my life and I go okay God this situation looks like you're not interested in what's going on in my life whatsoever that the, the pe- people are sick that I care about that that my job has gone to pot that that this has happened and you just God you look like you're a million miles away what God's encouraging us to do is to go out to keep it. What in all of that, where can you see me moving? What can you see me doing? And as we start to focus on that, it starts to help us bring a faith back to go, actually, God, I can see you in this set of circumstances. Everything else looks like it's, it's, it's mud, it's dirt, it's horrible. But actually, in this point, I can see something. And perhaps that starts to give me a better perspective of what you look like than this bit over here where I can't see. And actually I can see you here, God, as well. And I can see you in these little pockets of space. And it starts to build a picture up of what you look like. And as I start to do that, and as I start to see that, and I start to look at it through the eyes of Jesus, and I start to look at it through the lens of Jesus, it starts to take away some of these other bits. And I see actually with Jesus' life, I can, I can see that he worked with those who are in the most messy, disgusting, self-inflicted problems of their own life. 
Because sometimes people will go, well, I look at God and I can see, God, you're working in that part of my life because I've earned that part of my life. Because I've done good in that part of my life and I can see why you're working there, God. As opposed to God, you're working there because you love me. And not in this part of my life, maybe not because you hate me or you don't like me in that part, but actually you also care for me in that part because I see Jesus care for people that even made their own mistakes and he still helped them. And I can see that Jesus helped people who were unkind to other people. And I can see that Jesus helped people who had just been excommunicated from society. And I can see that Jesus restored people's dignity and identity. And I can see that Jesus kind of changed the way that, changed the way that he, he dealt with, with people all the time. And I can see Jesus even dealt with the religious as well. And it starts to re- make us realise, as I look at it in my own life, that actually God... What I thought was you being distant, what I thought was you being not interested, what I thought was you not caring, is actually you working behind the scenes all the time. And you're being involved in every part of my life all the time. And because I'm looking at it through the lens of Jesus. And the same way that we look at it through the lens of Jesus in Noah, and we look at that thing, we can't explain everything. We can't answer every question, but we can start to see little pockets of the nature of God pop through in that. In the same way in our own lives, can I see the little pockets of the nature of God pop through? Can I see his faithfulness in parts of my life where I didn't think his faithfulness existed? Because I actually start to connect ideas and it makes a connection. I start to see the way that God is and the way that God operates and the way that he's working in my life too. Because God is with us and God is for us even if in certain moments and certain situations we don't feel it and we don't see it and we don't understand it. He is behind the scenes because when I look at the life of Jesus, God, Jesus, you work with every single type of person in society. That John talked about, there was so much written down, and so, sorry, there could be so much written down about what Jesus did that it would fill the earth with books. So Jesus did a phenomenal amount of stuff. So why did they write down what they wrote down? Why did the, the kind of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why did they record what they recorded? Because I believe they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to do it in such a way that it, it covered the entirety of society. That we see Jesus' interaction with every single type of person. So that there's nobody who is excluded. There's nobody who can say, look, I can't see in the life of Jesus where he, where he would help me. I can't see in the life of Jesus where it helped that person because the gospel writers covered it to such a degree that they went, we're going to make sure there's the breadth of the entire society. From those who are seemingly deserving because they're religious or, or they, are, they, they look good, but actually inside they're not, to those who are just so undeserving because they've just messed up big time and they've made stupid decisions, to those in the middle who are so self-involved that they would tax people or, or abuse people to get their own ends or they would beat people up to make, make, make themselves look powerful or the kind of gaps in between again that Jesus dealt with every single person in society and therefore when I look at my own life that message rings through and goes God thank you that I fit into that I fit into that bracket that person at work fits into that bracket that person in my neighborhood fits into that bracket of you wanting to work and be involved in their life and therefore i start to look at it much more clearly and much more obviously because i see it now through a much clearer lens see it now much more clearer picture as opposed to letting my theology be built on things solely like noah and letting that be the thing that leads my understanding that if i get it right then i'm okay if i don't then god's going to wipe me out but actually seeing God that even in Noah you're wanting to restore you're wanting to bring a newness and a freshness back in you want to work with humanity because you work with Noah that God's involving himself in that and the same in our lives he's involving ourselves and 
the Holy Spirit wants to help us to see that and to understand that. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that. I ask that you would help to illuminate our understanding of where you're working in our lives. That it would begin to bring faith and it begin to bring hope and it begin to bring perseverance and tenacity. That we wouldn't become disheartened by focusing on the bits that are confusing and we're uncertain about. But we begin to be inspired and encouraged um, and emboldened by seeing where you are doing what you're doing and knowing that actually the bits we can't see and the bits we don't understand doesn't mean your absence but just means we don't see and we can be confident the fact that even in those places you're working and you're operating and you're moving because we look at the life of Jesus and see that there was no area no aspect of society no aspect of a person's life that he did not involve himself in and in the same with us and our families and our friends and our work colleagues and our neighbourhoods and our city that there's nobody that falls outside of the remit of your heart and your compassion and your love that every single person every single part of their lives falls into that inclusion into your heart and your love and your grace toward them in jesus name amen Amen.